the Fuller Youth Institute looked um, around the country and they discovered, uh, which is not a surprise because I know God is moving, they discovered that um, contrary to the belief of many leaders, there are churches that are not dying, but they're actually thriving. And so uh, Fuller looked at about 256 churches across North America, and they looked at what did these churches have in common um, and what did they share because they were thriving and doing really well. And so that's how they figured out about the, the six commitments with growing young. And so it's been a great journey here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we had 41 churches doing a year-long journey together, and Sergio uh, was in charge of coaching uh, four of those churches. And so we are going to be wrapping up our year-long learning journey uh, with our Growing Young cohort next month. But uh, Pastor Sergio has been a huge asset to that project. But it's just exciting to see what can happen when a church is willing to learn and really be led by the Holy Spirit and to just surrender their journey to the leading of the Holy Spirit, uh, really surrendering this church and community to Jesus and expecting big things. I believe that we need to expect greater things from Jesus. I think sometimes we step forward and we are way too timid when we are promised so much in this book, but yet we walk around with... Um, sometimes uh, hearts that are very timid as if we don't believe that we have a good father that wants to pour out amazing abundance and good gifts upon his kids and so yeah it, it's exciting and it's been great to see what has been happening i've heard so many good things about your church so it's an honor to be here to be here with you so um tonight we're going to talk about warm community and that's going to be our uh i think fifth commitment with growing young and then uh, Sabbath afternoon tomorrow, I'm going to talk about prioritizing young people everywhere. How do we really um, make young leaders a part of the fabric of this church? And what does that really look like? And not just the fabric of parts of the church, but in the fabric of every single thing that the church does. So we're going to talk about warm community tonight and then prioritizing young people uh, Sabbath afternoon. And then in between uh, those two bookends, I'm going to talk tomorrow morning for Sabbath school on how do we really get over the excuses that we have in our life so we can step deeper into our calling. Has anybody ever dealt with excuses in their life? So we're going to talk about that. And then uh, during Sabbath, I'm going to take you to uh, an incredible narrative on how do you create change? Like, what does that really look like? How many of you have a passion to create change? Like you want to leave places better than you found places. And so we're going to talk about what does that really look like? How do you create change? But tonight we're talking about warm community. So when, when I, if I were to ask you what does warm community mean to you or when you think about warm community, I'm not sure what you would say. Maybe it's the smell of apple pie. Uh, maybe it's Christmas. Maybe it's a hug from a relative or a loved one when you think about warm community. Uh, do, does anybody have a a relative or somebody that like a hug from that person just means a lot. Like when you get a hug from that person, there's something about that, that warm feeling of community. Um, for me, my wife grew up in the South and we actually spent two and a half weeks um, in Nashville. Anybody ever heard of Nashville? The home of country, country music. So we just got back from Nashville um, yesterday or the day before, had been there for two and a half weeks, and I did a week of speaking at Southern University. 
And if you have been to the South, the southern part of the U.S. is known for southern what? Hospitality, like everything is hospitable and it's warm and it's friendly. And I, I would say there is something to the South that there is a hospitality. I also believe there is a hospitality in the Pacific Northwest. And I really do. I lived in, I've lived in the Southwest in Arizona, and you all are much more friendly than the, than, than the vast majority of people that I met in the Southwest. So I think there's a hospitality up here as well. Um, one of the first experiences I had at my, my in-law's home after my wife and I had got married, we woke up and uh, we, we went into the kitchen. They've got a nice kitchen where you can cook a whole bunch of food. And my wife's mother had put out this spread of breakfast food. And this was like Southern hospitality being lived out before my very eyes. And so I sat down at this kitchen table and let me tell you what was sat in front of me. The largest cup of coffee that I'd ever seen in my life, along with, um, has anybody ever heard of Morning, morning Star Patties? Anybody, anybody know, it's, it's kind of, like, this guy's like, I like those. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like, uh, anybody ever heard of Beyond, is it Beyond Meat? Like all the, fa is it all the fast food chains are going to a, is it, you know, yeah, veggie burger. So the Morningstar patty is kind of like a veggie alternative. And so there was this massive cup of coffee. And then there was this plate of 12 patties. And I thought to myself, like, wow, how much does she think that I eat? And so there was this huge coffee, all these vegetarian patties. And this is the, I'm not making this up. Like, you, you can't make this up. And then next to the 12 patties was a full key lime pie. And it was 8 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, wow, like, this southern hospitality, it's real. And so I, I, I thought to myself, like, how do I approach this? Where do I start? There's so many patties. What if I don't eat? Is she going to be offended? And so I was like, and so I finally, my mother-in-law went to the kitchen where I had some, some distance. I said, Kim, what am I supposed to do? I can't eat this much food. You know, it's like, whoa, too much, you know. But I tell you what, I felt very welcomed. And I did feel very loved. And I, I had to confess midway through into six patties. I said, Wanda, I could not eat anymore. Like, this is all I could do, but thank you so much. But that beautiful feeling of, of being welcomed. And when I think about warm community, and this is backed up by the, the research with Growing Young, when all the 256 churches were researched and, and interviews were happening and conversations and, and young adults and high school students, when they were asked about their church and what, what did it mean for it to feel warm, here's what they said. A warm church feels like a family. That when you are part of this community, you don't feel like you're an outsider. That you feel like you are part of the family. Like you have a seat at the table. And that terminology came up in the research so many times that a church that is warm is a church that feels like a family. Amen? Um, when I was in Arizona, a, I, I asked a couple uh, that lived on the west side of Arizona, or sorry, the west side of Phoenix, I said, why do you drive all the way to the east side to go to church on Sabbath morning? And they, they said, well, have you ever met Pastor Paul? And I said, I, I've heard about him. Well, tell me about Pastor Paul. 
and they said, we drive 50 minutes from the west side of Phoenix all the way to the east side to go to the Paradise Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, because of Pastor Paul. And I said, well, tell me about Pastor Paul. And they said, he's the nicest guy in the world. Probably like Pastor Sergio. Nicest guy in the world. And I said, well, you know, what, what does he do that's unique? And they said, you've never been to the church, have you? And I said, no. They said, every single morning, Sabbath morning, Pastor Paul and his wife, they stand in the parking lot and they hug every single person that comes to church. And after so many times of coming, they've learned the names of probably 80 or 90% of all the people that come to church on the weekends. And they said, we don't even remember what the sermon is about every weekend or what the potluck food may have tasted like. But here's what we know. We felt loved. And there was a feeling of family in that experience. And when you think about it, having a warm church um, is is key to having a healthy church like there's so many people when they when they um give a community a try you only get one shot at connecting with the family or connecting with somebody and so when it comes to warm community it really is about intentionality putting yourself in the shoes of a guest coming in your community and asking yourself, what would make the biggest impression on me? How would I like to be approached? What would I like to have somebody say to me? And so warm community, it really is about intentionality. But let me tell you this, you don't just have a warm community by deciding that you are going to be warmer. Okay? Has that worked for anybody? You know, anybody ever, ever thought this? I will be more loving. I will be more loving. I will be more loving. Why did you do that? Anybody ever had that experience? Like we, we somehow think that if, if we will ourselves, we will be more loving or we will be more warm and hospitable and welcoming. Let me just give you uh, this key point from the message tonight, okay? Warm community comes out of love. It comes out of love. So it's not just warm community for the sake of warm community. It's not just willing yourself to be more warm and welcoming, but it's making sure that you're going all the way to the root of warm community, and that's being loved. When you know you are loved, you can be warm. Are you with me? When you know you're loved, you can be warm. So I, I don't want to... Um, send you in the wrong direction to, to, to challenge you to leave thinking we got to be more warm we got to be more warm maybe it's that we need to be deeper connected to the love of Jesus and the fruit of love is warmth are you with me on this one it's not about just willing yourself to be warmer heat up heat up heat up you know but it's about going deeper in the relationship that we have with Jesus. And it's about knowing Jesus more, and the fruit of love is warmth. Are you, are you with me on this one? Amazing thing. So what does that look like? You know, and how many of you would say, um, it's easy to love people you know? 
Now, some people you know, they're challenging. Like, anybody have a relative? It's a tough one. Like, it's a, it's, if we're honest, it's, don't look at anybody in the room. Like, you all related? I wasn't thinking about you, you know. Um, but what about when you meet somebody you don't know? What about when all of a sudden you have paths that cross and you have this moment where you have somebody that, that you'd never met before? You have no history together. How, what does it look like to really create warm community in that space? Um, so I, I was catching a flight from the West Coast, L.A. to Atlanta. And when I was catching this flight, um, it was a red-eye flight. The deal with the red-eye flight is it's often late into the evening or early in the morning. And you wake up or, or you don't sleep and you have kind of bloodshot eyes because it's a, it's a late flight. So I had a, a late flight, and I was flying on an airline uh, southwest. Anybody ever flown on southwest before? And I had forgotten to check in, which is like the nail in the coffin for Southwest Airlines. Because Southwest, it's open seating. So if you check in early, then you've got a great chance of getting a good seat. So I forgot to check in. I got to the airport, and I looked at the letter-number combination on my ticket, and it was C-50. So there's like an A group, B group, I was C50, and I knew that I was going to have a bad seat on the plane. And so all of a sudden, the attendant there at the gate, she said, well, all the A group go up, and they're just celebrating because they know they're going to get a great seat. And there's the, the one guy or gal that says, I'm going to get to that exit row seat that doesn't have a seat in front of me, and it's like mega leg room. And so all the A's are there, and they're just celebrating. B's are a little less excited because, you know, they're not as good as the A's. C's are just depressed. And so all of a sudden, everybody, true story, had boarded. I was the only one that was waiting to go down the, the ramp so I thought, here we go. And so I got onto the plane, and there are strategies that people will use to deter you from sitting by them. Okay, one of them is they will not make eye contact with you at all. They do not want to appear warm and welcoming. And so nobody was making eye contact with me, and I was just kind of walking like, don't feel very loved right now. And then people will also often take a bag and put it in the middle seat as if to say, well, my bag is sitting here. I'd have to move it, maybe keep going. So, yeah, sorry to inconvenience you. Realize your bag is so heavy. And so I went all the way to the back of the plane, and here's a, uh, there's an aisle seat, open middle, and a gentleman in the corner. And so I asked the gentleman in the corner, I said, would you mind if I sat here? And so there was an open again. The aisle was open, middle was open. He was in the corner. And he said, yeah, no problem. And so I sat down in the seat, and I noticed right away that this gentleman, um, he, my attention was drawn to his arms because he had scars all over his arms. And I thought that was just kind of an interesting thing. And so I sat by him, and uh, we got to our cruising altitude of 33,000 feet, and I wanted to ask this gentleman, well, well, what's your name? What are you doing? So we struck up a conversation. And he said, well, where are you going? And I said, I'm going uh, from L.A. to Atlanta. And I said, well, where are you going? And he, he kind of told me, well, I'm going to the East Coast, and then I have to go over to Kansas City. And I asked him, I said, well, why, why are you going to Kansas City? And he said, I'm going to Kansas City to meet my parole officer. 
And I thought to myself, I don't have a parole officer. I wonder why he has a parole officer. And, and so I, I, I kind of gave the conversation a little bit of space. I didn't want to dive in right away. Like, well, that's interesting. Tell me about that. And so I let some time go by, and then I just, I just went for it. And, I, and I'd never met John before. And I said, you know, um, I'm curious, why do you have a parole officer? And so John began to tell me the story about his family getting mixed up in some illegal activity um, in Kansas City. And long story short, he went into prison when he was about 18 for double homicide. And so he had been out on parole, um, I think for six months or a year, and there were some technicalities to what had happened. And so he was there, and so we were talking about his life and I said I said well why do you have all these scars on your arms and he said well when I was in prison um, I didn't really know how to deal with the pain of what I was going through and so I expressed my pain by doing some harm to, my, to myself so we were talking a little bit in up on in the, the airplane there and I remember as I was having this conversation with John um, God impressed upon me um, and, and I heard felt this impression Benjamin tell John about your scar and I thought wow okay and so I am blessed with the gift of baldness amen no nobody said nobody said amen and uh thank you that was I set you up this like you know amen silence okay so I'm blessed with the gift of baldness and because I'm blessed with baldness I have thank you I have uh, the chance of seeing a scar on the left side of my head every single day. And the scar is there because when I served as a student missionary on the island of Ponape in the South Pacific, I fell off a cliff 55 feet onto a pile of rocks and I should have died. And um, not only did I not die, uh, but I ended up with no broken bones in my whole body. And so I, w I was retelling John this story and I told John this, I said, John, when I see the scar on my head every day, it reminds me that God has an incredible plan and purpose for my life. And I said, in scripture, we know that uh, Jesus bears scars on his body that let the world know that they are loved. And I told John, I said, you are so loved. And we had this moment on this Southwest Airlines flight of being able to share the gospel and the good news of Jesus with John, who we had never met. And so here was this beautiful, warm community moment. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you in a second kind of how that played out. So we had that moment there. Now, if you got your Bibles, um, let's go to the book of John and let's go to John chapter 4. And if you've got John chapter 4, go ahead and say amen so we know you've got it. And John chapter 4 is Jesus uh, meeting the woman of Samaria at the well. And so I want to just teach a little bit out of this uh, passage or narrative. And here's the, here's the question that I want to just uh, propose to you. How did Jesus build and create warm community? What did it actually look like for Jesus to do this? So in John chapter 4, this is the 
narrative or the retelling of Jesus meeting the woman at the well. And there is, I wish we could really teach on this, um, Sergio, for the whole weekend because there is so much in this passage. But John chapter 4, and I'm just going to read a couple different passages, so track with me, and then I want to bring out a couple points to you. So John chapter 4, this is Jesus and the woman of Samaria, um, and here's what it says in 4 verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left. <laughs> he left. Let me just say this. Don't ever get caught in a comparison trap. Because you'll always lose. And here's why, you're, well, here's why you will always lose. If you give time to conversations of comparison, you will either A, feel insecure, or you will feel arrogant. And when I look at the good book, we are not called to be insecure, and we're not called to be arrogant. So do not give your attention and your time to conversations of comparison. I'm not called to live your life, and you're not called to live my life. Amen? And you got gray hair, brother. And uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Let's pray because that wasn't funny. All right. <laughs> but, but so you, you have this whole comparison thing going on. And what does it say? It says Jesus rolled. He left. Okay? He left. He's on mission. Okay, so Jesus left and he departed again for Galilee and four verse four says this, and he had to pass through Samaria. Think about this in, in our life, uh, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly, I know because I'm of this mindset too, we can be so focused on where we are going and the end goal or the destination that we miss the pass-through. We miss the pass-through, okay? Jesus was going to Galilee, but a miracle happened in the pass-through. So as you live and operate on the daily, as focused as we may get, how many of you are list makers? Like you love checking things off a list. <laughs> That's like your greatest joy at the end of, end of a day. I ticked 10 boxes. Amen, amen. Let us sleep. And uh, so we can become so focused, but think about this. What if I at 33,000 feet had been so focused on Atlanta that I missed the pass-through? And the pass-through was... What, what, what God was doing in between A and B. So think about when you're at A, you're focused on B. Remember, there's a lot that happens in between A and B. And so uh, he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Sychar called, or, excuse me, he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near a field that Jacob had given to his son jo Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. 
So Jesus was there sitting at the well. Here comes a woman from Samaria around midday-ish. And Jesus is there, and there is this animosity between Jews and Samaritans. And it really goes back to the fact that, that culturally, Jews viewed Samaritans as half-breeds. So it was this, this feeling of superiority of Jews over Samaritans. And here you find a Samaritan and, and a Jew together at the well. They're not supposed to be having any conversation. They're not supposed to be dialoguing back and forth together. And here Jesus starts the conversation. Again, I want you to really pick up how does Jesus build warm community? How does he build that, that feeling of warmth? Jesus starts the conversation. Jesus says, give me a drink. And so Jesus started the conversation, and she responds, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a, a Samaritan, for, for a drink? Like, culturally, this does, does not make sense. And so here's the first thing I want you to think about. Jesus built warm community because every person knew that Jesus was safe. People should feel safe to be around you. They should feel safe to be around you. And, and I would go so far to say is this. Jesus accepted every person. And sometimes we get so hung up on this idea that if I accept somebody and I allow them to feel safe, that it means I approve of everything they are doing. I want you to catch this point. Acceptance and approval are two different things. Even if you don't love everything somebody is doing. Maybe if you wouldn't have those patterns be part of your life, every person should feel safe to be around you. And every person felt safe to be around Jesus. Amen? Jesus accepted people. And when they came around him, even if culturally it did not make sense, they felt safe to be around Jesus. Jesus started the conversation. Jesus started the engagement. And Jesus built this warm community. And so they had this dialogue back and forth. And all of a sudden Jesus says, which I think is, is pretty awesome. Jesus says in chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. So Jesus built warm community by accepting people and, and helping them to feel safe when they were around him. Jesus also took conversation below the surface level to substance and matter. You guys kind of with me on this one? We have to go beyond happy Sabbath. We have to. We have to. We have to actually talk about things that matter. Have conversation. Actually walk up to somebody and say, how are you doing? And really pause so somebody can respond. Are you with me? Every time somebody says to me, if I ask them, how are you doing? And they respond by saying, oh, I'm fine. What does fine mean? My acronym for fine is this. 
freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. What that means is this. When somebody says they're fine, unless you take time to really listen, you don't have any idea how they're doing. Are you with me on this one? If you want that again, freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. Jesus took time to have conversations of depth. He really wanted to know this woman, not just in a pass-through, but about real life, about family, about what's going on, about her history, and about her past. And Jesus acknowledged her past, fully knowing that he was leading her to a better future. Jesus did not remind her over and over about her past because he knew he was about to write a new chapter in her life. Amazing. So much gospel right in the middle of this story. So Jesus um, accepted the woman. She felt safe around him. He took conversation to a level of depth. And then you can see um, in chapter 4, verse 27, the disciples come back onto the scene and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Think about this. I think the language is really dumbed down. Okay, These were fishermen. Do you get my drift? I don't think somebody walked on the scene and said, my, I am quite astonished. Are you astonished? Now that you mention it, I also am astonished. Okay, No, I'm thinking more of a... Beep, 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 beep. How in the world could Jesus be talking to this half-breed? What's he doing? Doesn't he know who he is? And I wonder if Jesus thought they don't know who she is because she's mine. So the disciples couldn't see the value in that woman. But Jesus had already put value in her. And through the conversation, he was calling the value out of her that he had already put in her. And through the course of this conversation, Jesus uh, led her on a journey where she began to acknowledge and see the value that had always been there the, the, the whole time. Value that was not determined on her relationships or her past or her decisions or insecurities or mess, up, mess ups or mistakes. It was value that he had put in her from the very beginning. You see, the value that we have is not earned. Somebody say amen. And if it's not earned, it cannot be lost. It is given. It is put in us. So we receive it because it has been given to us. Amen? Remember, when Jesus was baptized and the voice from heaven came down, what did the voice say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had done no public ministry that we know of at that point. He hadn't healed anybody's eyes or ears. He was, the father was pleased with the son because the son belonged to the father. Amen? So when Jesus sat at the well by this woman, he was not just seeing a woman, he was seeing his daughter. You with me? And so over the course of this conversation, he took the scales off of her eyes where she began to see herself in the way that he saw her as having great worth and great value. If we are going to build warm community, 
We have to see people the way that Jesus sees people. Not earned value, but value that has already been given to people. That you are valuable because God calls you son. That you are valuable because God calls you daughter. And I'm going to give you respect. I'm going to give you respect and honor because you're a son and a daughter of God. You don't have to earn it in my book. I'm just going to acknowledge what God has already implanted in you. Amen? And we walk in confidence when we begin to see ourselves in alignment with how God sees us. That's how we walk in confidence. It's by seeing ourselves the way that God sees us. Amen? And that's why we don't compare. That's why we don't waste time with those kind of games. Because we know who we are. Amen? And we already know the value that God has given us. So, Jesus, again, he accepted the woman. Okay? Acceptance means people should feel safe when they're around you. He took conversation to a level of depth. And he already recognized the value that that woman had in her life. Even though the disciples couldn't see it, Jesus saw it and knew that it was there. So what happens? What happens when somebody experiences warm community? What happens when somebody begins to, to see their own value? I'll tell you what happens. They begin to write a whole new chapter in their life. So she saw the value that she had through her experience with Jesus, and all of a sudden, she went back as the most passionate, on-fire evangelist to her own village that had shamed her because of her past. And guess what? When she had that encounter with Jesus, she let go of shame and she let go of guilt and she walked back into her own community that knew her with confidence, telling them about this guy she had met whose name was Jesus. Warm community can unlock the passions and the gifts in people can explode it where somebody can go back to a community where they once received shame so they can bring that community hope and healing. Wow. You think about it. The woman at the well could have said, I'm done with my community. They have given me no love. Nothing. But she didn't abandon her community because she had experienced the warm community of Jesus. And it called her back to her own community to share what she had discovered and what she, and what she had found. Incredible. People should feel safe when they're around us. Okay, they should feel safe. We should take the time to have conversations of depth. Okay, really get to know people. And we should pray that we can see the value in people that God has put inside of people. Amen? Warm community is a fruit of love. It's not about just willing yourself to be warmer like a thermostat. <laughs> I will be warm. I will be warm. But it's about recognizing for us, I'm just speaking to the heart right now, just about, it's recognizing for us that we are safe with Jesus we are safe with Jesus that Jesus wants to do real life with us here in this room he wants to talk about your hopes and dreams he wants to talk about that dream you've given up on 
that you held on to for so long and then you thought it was never going to happen and you put it on a shelf. He wants to talk about those challenges. He wants to talk about those insecurities. He wants to talk about real life. And Jesus, as we are son and daughter, Jesus wants us to begin to recognize and see the value that he has put in us from the beginning that has always been there. And it's out of that experience that warm community becomes not forced, but it becomes natural. How can you not love on people when you're loved? It just comes out of you. Okay, it comes out of you. So there I was in that plane, and I shared this gospel with John, and we had this great conversation. It was an amazing conversation. And um, I heard over the PA system, the uh, pilot say, we are about 90 miles out of Atlanta, and we're going to you know, put your tray tables up in the position and make sure your lap belts are secure. And so we landed there in Atlanta, and because John and I were at the very, very back of the plane, we had some time to kill, like 30 minutes, <laughs> because it's taking us a long time to get out. So we're hanging out there, and, uh, and I said, uh, John, what do you want to do with your life? That's what I asked him. What do you want to do with your life? Like, do you have any dreams? And he said, dreams? Yeah. He said, I want to be a rapper. And I thought, wow. You know, I'm just thinking like, what do I know about rap? You know, and I'm thinking about all, like, just thinking about that's what's going through my head. And he said, I want to be a rapper. And he said, would you like to hear some of the raps that I have written and performed. And I said, absolutely. Hear me on this. When we have conversations with people, okay, try to be more interested than interesting. Sometimes we're so concerned with people thinking we're interesting that when we're having a conversation, in your mind, you're waiting for the gap so you could just say what you want to say about yourself. You guys kind of with me on this one? Okay, so think about, can we be more interested in what's going on in the lives of other people than we are trying to be interesting ourselves? So when John said, I want to be an aspiring rapper, what did I do? I leaned in. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. So, John asked me, would you like to hear some of my, my music? And I said, sure, not really understanding how, how I was going to hear it. So here's what John does, true story. He takes his earbuds out of his ears and he passes them to me. I want to tell you this, from the word of God, it's amazing, from the word of God, Jesus cleanses and Jesus heals, amen. And I believe that as those earbuds came out of John's ears, there was a divine cleansing process that took place between his ears and my ears where I said, God, I'm not going to doubt you. You say when, you're, when, you're, when your word goes out, it's not going to come back void. You cleanse and you heal. Amen. Give me those earbuds. And so I took the earbuds and I put them in my ears and he began to play this music. And I thought to myself, if I don't rhythmically move, he's going to think I don't don't like his music. I'm not born with a lot of rhythm, okay? I'm just not. But here's what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit froze me from the shoulders down, 
but he set my head free. And so I was moving around like this, and it was great. So we got done, and I thought, like, how am I going to respond to what John is saying? And all of a sudden, I had flashbacks to this show called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Will Smith, you may have heard of him. And, uh, and John said, what do you think of my music? And I said, John, that was dope and fresh. And, 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 I, and, I, and I thought to myself, nobody says that. Like, nobody even uses that terminology anymore. He's like, I was dope and fresh. He kind of looked at me like, okay. And, uh, and so he said, oh, you liked it. Here, listen to another one. All right, John, this is great. So anyway, we went round two. Head was moving, and it was all fine. Anyway, we got done. We finally got our our uh, D-plane, and we were there in the terminal about to go our separate ways. And um, I asked John, I said, John, can I pray for your rap career? And so they're in the terminal as we're about to fork in the road, go different, different directions, meet a baggage claim, him to a flight to Kansas City. Um, we prayed together, and my prayer went something like this. God, I pray that you will bless John's rap career and that you will remind him every day that you've got a plan and a purpose for his life. That was it. Amen. Amen. And um, that was it. John went one direction and I went a different direction. Um, It's amazing who we can meet and the experiences we can have when we don't neglect the pass-through from A to B. But we recognize a lot can happen between the A and the B. In that plane, um, and I didn't create it. I did, I'm not taking credit for that. God created a warm community. That's what he did. He told me what to say, or he impressed me to say certain things at certain times. He set that up. He let all the bags be in the middle seat, deterring me from sitting there. He maybe diverted the eye contact, but he set this whole thing up. But it's amazing what can happen in in an environment of warm community. When people know, even if they're a stranger to us, when they know that they are safe around us, when we take the time to have conversation of depth, and when we see people for the value that God has already placed in their life. Amen? Where does warm community start? It's not about willing yourself to be warmer, okay? It's recognizing that warmth is a fruit of being loved. And it's about us as individuals. We are the church. You know that? The church is not a building. It's not an organization. The church is the living, breathing expression of Jesus to our world. We are the church. And it's about the church recognizing as individuals that we are loved. And it's easy to tell, tell that to somebody else, like, oh, you're so loved. Brother, you are so loved. Sometimes it's harder for us, isn't it? But it starts with us saying, I'm loved. I am loved. You know, there's other people, but I am loved. And Jesus wants a conversation and a relationship of depth with me. And Jesus sees the value that he has always seen in me.
And it's that process of us knowing that we are loved, taking those opportunities to have conversation with Jesus um, every day about the real life and beginning to see ourselves with the worth and value that Jesus sees us. And the outgrowth of that is warmth and it's community. Now, don't get me wrong. We still have to be intentional. You got to lean into those opportunities. Okay. When you see something, go have a conversation, go talk to somebody, go listen, find them a seat, invite them to potluck, take them home to your house to feed somebody. We still have to be intentional, but it is an outgrowth of knowing that we are loved here with the woman at the well. She built an entire warm community where she had once experienced shame because love was awakened within her. And as love was awakened, she built warm community. And it changed an entire community. Amen? So I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you... um, with the truth that you are loved. Not for somebody else, just for you. You are loved. And Jesus wants a relationship with you. And Jesus has placed incredible worth and value in your life. Amen? Even if you don't feel it, hear me on this, feelings are not Lord. If it's in this book, if it's in the good book, I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to believe this word over the feelings that I sometimes feel about myself. Feelings are not Lord. And if the feelings you have are not in alignment with this book, those feelings are a lie. And you got to call them out. Call a time out. That's not true. That's not true. I do have worth and value. I am loved. I am great because God says it. And I got a plan and purpose for my life. Amen? Awesome. Um, let's stand and let's, let's pray together. And yeah, thanks for letting me share a little bit tonight about warm community. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you for um, just reminding us tonight that we're loved. I know the topic was warm community, but maybe the more important topic was us just claiming what you have already given us and just recognizing that we're loved, that you want to have a relationship with us of depth and and that you have placed so much worth and value um, upon our life. May we recognize that. May we receive that. May we live from that. If there's ever a time, God, that we begin to devalue ourselves, may we uh, feel the power to call a time out, to be able to say those words that, that we are thinking over our own life, they're not in harmony with what the Bible says, and just to call a time out and call those things out and go back to the word, to what you say about us, that we are sons and we are daughters and we are loved. And because we are loved, we can intentionally build warm community where people can enter this church family, connect with this church family uh, in the community here, and they can know that they are loved. 
here in Tri-Cities, this part of Washington, Richland, that they can know they are loved um, in the way that we make them feel safe and we take the time to have conversation and the way that we value people like you value people. Thank you, God, for giving us uh, this night, this time together. Give us a great sleep this evening. In your name we pray. Amen.